0: Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Ultrasound
1: Gel Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Ultrasound Gel Podcast. My name is Jacob Avila and today I am joined by Michael Pratt and Cray Bolger. And we're going to talk about something that I think is going to open up like this huge can of worms. So this study that we're going to talk about today is entitled Results of a Prospective Study to Evaluate the Impact of Point-of-Care Ultrasound in the Enhancement of Gastrointestinal Bleeding Risk Scores. And this study has been published in the American Institute of Ultratown and Medicine's magazine or journal, the Journal of Ultratown and Medicine. Now this, I'm excited when I saw this because I've been kind of thinking about using these different ultrasound parameters in just like regular old sick people besides sepsis for a while now, but there just hasn't been a whole lot of good data behind it. And GI bleeds, I don't know if this is something that you see fairly frequently where you work, Mike, but... GI bleeds are something that I see fairly frequently because I have a fairly high concentration of patients with liver disease where I work.
0: Yeah, I see it all the time, too. I think this can be really helpful.
1: Now, clinically speaking, when we're trying to figure out what is the risk of your patient doing poorly or the risk of adverse events, we think about a couple of different clinical prediction rules. Now, there are a couple for upper GI bleeding and a couple for lower GI bleeding. We have the Rockall and the Glasgow Blatchford score for upper GI bleeding and the Villio score for lower GI bleeding. So, we got both of those there. Now, what this study did, just as a brief kind of summary, is they had patients with GI bleeding and they performed ultrasounds. And we'll talk about which ones those are. They did ultrasounds, by themselves and in conjunction with those scores that I previously mentioned to figure out how well they do at predicting adverse events, either early or late. Here's what happened in this study. Let's talk a little bit
0: about inclusion. Adults with GI bleeding in the past 24 hours, done. Let's talk about exclusions. Well, they took out anybody that had had ischemic arterial disease in the last three months, trauma, surgery with blood loss, pregnancy, or importantly, hemodynamic instability. They said requiring immediate ICU admission, but I'm guessing it's kind of anyone that was really unstable. So keep that one in mind, that's important. Patients that came into the study, they got their usual history and physical, they ordered their labs as normal. And then if they had suspected upper GI bleeding, they got their Rockall and Glasgow Blatchford score. If they suspected lower GI bleeding, got that Vallejo score and they calculated that out before or shortly after starting fluids, they then did their point of care ultrasound exam. And what did they do? Well, they did an IVC in long axis and they calculated a collapsibility index, which they mentioned specifically, they did not use M mode for, they did it on B mode.
1: Thank God, ugh. It's like one of my, it's one of my triggers, dude. It's one of my triggers.
0: (sighs) Please don't get triggered right now, it's okay. Just take some deep breaths. They, they didn't use M mode anywhere in this study. Okay, I'm better. Okay, good. And so the ideal way that you should do it is actually just taking a clip and then scrolling back and measuring the maximal and minimal diameter at the same spot. In addition to IVC, they also did a parasternal long axis view where they were focused on looking for the presence or absence of kissing LV walls, which, as you know, is a sign that The LV is not filling that much, so it kind of would relate to hypovolemia, in this case, probably from their GI bleed. They also did an apical five chamber view to get an LVOT VTI. So that's your left ventricular outflow track velocity time integral. And you can use this ultimately to calculate the cardiac output if you want, or you can kind of just use this um, by its own measure to see if there is going to be an increase in output after doing some intervention. And that's exactly what they did because step number four in their protocol was to perform a passive leg raise. They raised up that patient's legs and then they repeated the IVC, the personal long axis and the apical five chamber view and measured all these things again.
1: Now with the VTI, this is something that can be a little bit tricky just because, you know, the Doppler angle, if you're a little off, you might get like a different measurement. And they accounted for that. When they measured that VTI, they acquired at least five measurements at two different times and they saved the highest score of all, which I think is what I would have done. This all sounds perfectly okay to do because, you know, there's a little bit of discussion as far as the reproducibility of getting an adequate VTI measurement.
0: Definitely. Way to go authors on that one. So at the end of the day, the questions they were asking, their primary outcomes were, are the POCUS parameters associated with adverse events in these patients with GI bleeding? And then they also wanted to see if they add the POCUS to these existing risk scores, does that improve their predictive performance? So let's talk about some of these adverse events they were looking for. They categorized them into either early or late. And the early ones included any rebleeding if they needed a transfusion interventions hypotension hypoxia or a change in lab parameters such as decreased hemoglobin pH lactate urea creatinine late events also included rebleeding or blood transfusion or interventions needed to control the bleeding but also readmission or death within 30 days so the first outcome was Is POCUS associated with these adverse events? And secondly, does POCUS improve the already being used risk scores? And the follow-up they did either during hospitalization or one month after recruitment, their power calculation said they needed 75 patients to detect 24% difference in complications. All of these scans were done by a single emergency physician that had good experience with point-of-care ultrasound. So Jacob, walk us through these findings. What do we got here?
1: So they had a total of 203 patients that they enrolled over plus or minus about two years at this single institution. The majority of their patients presented with lower GI bleeds at 62.6%, and the remaining had upper GI bleeds. So appropriately so, they kind of split it up into upper and lower GI bleedings as far as um, their results. So in the upper GI bleeding, um, they looked at these things separately. So in patients that have that left ventricle kissing wall, so that basically means that the left ventricle was like so hyperdynamic and underfilled that the walls touched there was a greater presence of what they had called late adverse events. And they had a pretty good odds ratio here, odds ratio of 3.8, which I think is pretty good. And then patients with lower GI bleeding who showed collapse of the IVC greater than 50% after passive leg raising had a greater presence of early adverse events, and they had an odds ratio of 36 Now, when you looked at the combination of those ultrasound findings with the clinical prediction scores that already exist, they looked at areas under the curve which I think is a good way of looking at the diagnostic performance here. And they found that the predictive performance of the Rockall score was seventy seven point six percent by itself, and then it increased with ultrasound to eighty point three percent. So it went up about three percent. And then the Glasgow Blatchford score by itself had an area under the curve of seventy two point five percent. And with ultrasound, it didn't quite do that much better, like a one percent increase. It was seventy three point two. So seventy two point five to seventy three point. And then when they looked at the lower GI bleeding score, the Velayo score, the area under the curve was 55.7%. And we had a pretty dramatic increase with ultrasound area on the curve went from 55.7% without ultrasound, all the way up to 72.2% with that ultrasound.
0: Another thing that I was looking for in this data is, how does the sensitivity change? Because I think these authors and a lot of people want to use the risk scores to kind of rule out people that are gonna need a significant intervention and therefore make their workup safely done as an outpatient. So I want to see, does POCUS actually help your sensitivity here? And in almost all the cases, it increased your sensitivity by like nine or 10%. Um, The difference was most dramatic in the lower GI bleeds with the Velio score because I think it actually increased your sensitivity about 30% for the late adverse events there. So pretty impressive. And like Jacob said, the accuracy overall improved most of the time as well. Let's talk a little bit about the limitations of this study. Let's get the easy ones out of the way. So this was a convenient sample. This was a single center. It was a well-trained operator. We see that stuff very commonly in these studies. And we know we can appropriately be a little skeptical of these things.
1: I guess. Just because somebody did the scan doesn't mean that other people can't do the same scan. I mean, I I think that's something to think about, but that definitely should not make people like not do it because they're like, oh, I can't get to the point where I can measure a VTI. Like you can definitely get to the point where you can measure a VTI.
0: No, I agree with you. Shouldn't discourage people from trying to be better.
2: So I think another limitation in this study is kind of what they considered adverse events you know, some of the adverse events that they're measuring, maybe we wouldn't consider adverse events or aren't indicative of the severity of the patient. And so I think trying to apply this test and saying we, if this, then that, um, so like a small increase in creatinine or a drop in hemoglobin may not be as serious. We see lots of people with transient changes in both of those. We expect those with a GI bleed even. Um, however, things like hypotension, admission to the ICU, are much more significant and have clinical um, significance. And I think that's the ones we really want to focus on, um, that maybe we're a little bit diluted with this composite.
0: Yeah, and anytime you have a composite like that, it does kind of make you wonder if there was a certain... Part of it that was driving the effect that you see. So, like, what if instead of what we care about, whether these patients were getting blood or needing like repeat endoscopy or procedures, all of the impact was just because everyone's BUN went up or, you know, their lactates went up from something totally unrelated. So, that I think is a fear.
2: I think that's really important too in this patient population. The patients who we often see presenting with GI bleed will have abnormal vitals and labs at baseline um, that can, like you said, compound and further drive this composite outcome. Um, And I think that's really um, important is that they're starting, their physiology at baseline isn't normal typically. And so when we're trying to look for what we would correlate with normal physiologic response and changes like these subtle um, findings, this patient population doesn't typically respond the same way as an otherwise healthy person.
0: Yeah, so I think just to put it to a point here, do you guys think that this is gonna change your management of GI bleeds? Because I think we're all in agreement that in an unstable patient, hemodynamically unstable, regardless of the cause, point of care ultrasound can really be helpful in finding an etiology or guiding your management, but they excluded those people from this study. So we're talking about stable patients, suspected GI bleed, using ultrasound to help you make a decision about what to do with them next. Do you think this is ready to help you?
1: I am actually planning on using this, and I'm planning on using this specifically in a way because they excluded the sick patients. I mean, when you have a sick patient, someone that's hypotensive, tachycardic, like they're uptunded, I don't need any score to tell me that this patient with a massive GI bleed is sick. Like I don't need that stuff. I know they're sick, right? I know they're going to the ICU. But where you run into issues is you run into that patient that has a GI bleed and they look great. You know what I mean? They look fine. They're like, I threw up blood a couple of times. They're talking to you or the vital signs look great. That is the patient that in my opinion might actually be a little more risky because I don't know if putting them to the floor is bad. I don't know how sick they actually are inside. And this is especially true in the lower GI bleed. And... The lower GI bleed, the reason why I think we run into more issues with that is that patients, they actually might have a bunch of blood in their colon that they haven't like dumped. Thank you, Cray. They haven't like dumped yet. Um, And when you use that ultrasound, it can actually help. And that's, you know, when we look at the actual scoring system, that is where ultrasound actually helped the most is in lower GI bleeds. So in my next patient that has a GI bleed that I'm kind of on the fence as to sick or not sick, I think that this examination, adding the ultrasound can actually help as a tiebreaker, when I'm talking to my admitting physician or provider saying, I think this patient is sick or not sick. And I can add, hey, you know, their VTI was this, their IVC was this, and it might
2: help. I agree. I think this is a patient population that I honestly don't grab the ultrasound for because I, they're either stable, even the sick ones though, they're unstable, but I know why they're unstable. Typically it's their bleeding. And so I know how to treat that. So I'm not usually taking the ultrasound to the bedside in this patient. But I think I'm, like you said, Jacob, I think I might, um, not only for risk stratification, but um, I think we probably get too comfortable with lab values. um, And if it's not dropping and their vitals are normal, we're going to feel really safe about this patient. Our resuscitation, too, I think our typical hypotensive patient, we grab fluids. And in this patient population, if I see a collapsing IVC, um, a... uh, high delta in my VTI, I might go for blood earlier. And I think without necessarily waiting for that hemoglobin to fall, it's kind of like saying, I'm going to wait for you to arrest to resuscitate you from a cardiac problem. Like, should I wait for you to bleed out till you're hypotensive to appropriately resuscitate you? I think this, I, I don't think this paper like solidifies, yes, collapsible IBC, big delta VTI, like, these patients are all going to decompensate and all need blood right away. But I think it was that person that I don't have a great feeling about. Like I might reach for earlier blood um, and a little bit more aggressive resuscitation. I And I think there needs to be more literature on this. Um, my favorite part with GI and ultrasound that wasn't discussed in this paper is looking at what's in their stomach too. Um, if they, you know, they may not actively be vomiting blood and I know Mike and I have had a case or two where we found doing our critical care ultrasound actually found a stomach full of blood um, that really changed what the plan was with the patient. Um, And so I think adding that potentially gastric ultrasound in with this too um, could help you assess like they might not be sick and vomiting blood right now, but are we heading that direction?
0: I'm going to play the other side of the coin here because I'm not so sure this is ready based on this data. I agree with you guys. Intuitively makes sense. I think it could potentially help you. But when you look at this evidence, first of all, not all of the things they checked panned out and were associated with adverse events. So like why did the kissing walls only help the late adverse events and not the early ones? And why was it only in the upper GI bleeds and not the lower GI bleeds? Why did the IVC collapsibility index only help after a passive leg raise but not before and not in the lower GI bleeds? So there's a lot of questions about why if this principle is true it didn't pan out in many of the other cases they assessed. And furthermore, remember that we're still only getting a snapshot. They didn't repeat this exam over their clinical course so let's say someone came in, they vomited blood one time, you look at their IVC and their heart and everything looks great. It doesn't mean that later on they're not going to decompensate to the point where they might have some of these adverse events. So I still have a little bit of hesitancy, especially because there was some pretty wide confidence intervals on those odds ratios. So I agree that it can be a tiebreaker. It might be useful in these really borderline patients to push you one way or another, but I don't know that I'd really hang my hat on making a a clinical decision based on just this study. Now you have both sides of the story. Let me summarize this study, though. This was a prospectively done study from Madrid that enrolled 203 patients in the ED with upper and lower GI bleeding. Primary outcome here was association with point-of-care ultrasound findings and adverse outcomes, which included everything from hypoxia to lab changes to surgical interventions. They did find associations here, odds ratios with kind of large confidence intervals, like I mentioned, and they found as a secondary outcome that adding POCUS to the... Existing risk score calculators improved their sensitivity and their areas under the curve. Take-home points. Point-of-care ultrasound evidence of hypovolemia is associated with these composite outcomes of adverse events. And adding point-of-care ultrasound to GI bleeding risk scores can be helpful, but it requires a little more research to validate this and looking at some patient-centered outcomes. Thanks to the authors for doing this Impressive work and thank you for listening to our podcast. If you want to hear more, go to ultrasoundgel.org, check us out on Facebook, or talk to us on Twitter where we would be happy to talk to you. Until then, we will talk to you later. More
1: More gel. More More gel. More ultrasound gel. It's uh we have to thaw out the chicken.